Okay, Jeff Miller, Daishi Han Miller, whatever term you want to use. Uh, we're here with episode 74 of Kudan Podcast. And during this episode, we're going to be taking a look at how to take a technique from lesson, right? In the academy, in the class, in the dojo, whatever, right? Base lesson all the way to street ready as quickly as possible. And so that's the topic for today's show. So, the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kuden Radio. Real training for real people in a real world. And that's my story, and I'm to it. So anyway, all right, so uh, episode 74, uh, welcome back, James Alexander. I think I mentioned that last time, so anybody that's uh, uh, contacting me or us or whatever through the uh, through the uh, website, main email address uh, for anybody that's trying to get a hold of us is Warrior C. Please be able to spell the word warrior, right? W-A-R-R-I-O-R. Don't expect me to do it all the time. Warrior, the letter C, at warrior-concepts, with an S, concepts-online.com. Warrior C at warrior-concepts-online.com. Okay, so that's the general side of things. Uh, if you're looking for information or you just want to say hi or you know, whatever, okay? So now, that being said, right, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on YouTube, I'm on uh, Twitter, I'm on Instagram, all that stuff, right? Uh, plus all the emails. Uh, and remember, I don't just do this, right? I've, I've got, you know, an academy, I have online distance training programs, we've got a bunch of people going through those things, right? And I'm also a corporate workplace violence consultant. So uh, the promise I make is I try to read all comments and emails and stuff that come in, uh, but I can't make a promise that I'll always be answering them uh, unless it's something um, uh, students and clients get a priority, and then I try to go down uh, from there. Okay, uh, please, 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 right? Please don't send me messages asking me if Ninja really jump up, you know, from the ground to a third or fourth story uh, building uh, all by themselves. Uh, you know, if that's your thing, right? Uh, watching those kind of Ninja movies and all that, uh, we can't be friends. So <laughs> I'm just going to laugh. Um, and, and also don't send me emails asking me if I'm going to fly halfway across the country or all the way across the country or around the world or whatever uh, to train you for free, um, that's not happening either, right? Um, so do what the rest of us did uh, all along the way, right? We figure out how to make it happen, right? Uh, let's see. So Perry says, so you need a partner with this online. How much can you learn solo without a partner? Uh, I've covered that in other episodes, and I'll cover it again later on. Uh, but I break the training down into four different areas, uh, and three quarters of those can be done solo. So if somebody's only focusing on uh, on the actual application of techniques on a human body, and they're not working on the things that can be done solo, where uh, they're developing bite in their strikes, or they're developing uh, balance, or they're developing things like weapon familiarity, uh, which has to do with grip and balance and, and finding the center of balance and, and all those kind of things, right? Um, shadow boxing. Uh, and, again, 
if you're only looking at one aspect, right, you're looking at Ninpo or Budo Taijutsu, which is one aspect of all of it, right, uh, and we're not looking at observation skills, uh, body language reading, all those kind of things that go into being able to assess the situation or just being successful in other parts of life, right? Hatsumi Sensei uh, has said again and again, right, it's our uh, duty to become wealthy, whether it's financially or we have other kind of resources or whatever where we can help people, uh, and to be successful in life, right? If we're doing that, then the combat stuff um, – is just one aspect of the training, and it's the part of the training that keeps you in the world, so you can do good in the world, right? But if this is just uh, if this is just a fight thing, and that's the only place somebody's looking, and the only part of the training that they're focusing on is you know um, the ducking of punches and, and all, which, which it's important stuff, right? But there's things that that somebody should be practicing to. Uh, to develop their skill set that you can't. Well, I guess you can, but if you're a balanced, sane, compassionate human being, you're not going to do to a training partner, right? So those are things that I develop strike drills for, or there's certain things I'm working on to be able to develop the kind of bite in my strikes that when I touch somebody, uh, their body stops working well, right? It may not stop working altogether, but it stops working well. I'm not hitting my training partner that way. Okay, so if, again, if we're only working on that part of the training, that's practical application, right, to make sure that your movement and all that fits timing, distancing, angling relative to another person, that's fine, right? But uh, there are these four pillars. Sometimes there's six if we're working on certain weapons and whatnot. Uh, but think about, think about a pavilion or, you know, uh, the Parthenon or whatever, right? You've got this foundation, right? And then you've got these pillars holding up this big uh, roof, right? Or, or whatever the ornate thing is on top, right? This stuff up here is your ability to apply this stuff in the world, right? In whatever context, back alley, battlefield, boardroom, on the job, in relationships, whatever, right? Um, so all those pillars, right? Okay, think about it, right? They're all equally distributing the weight of this, right? They're supporting this thing, this thing of importance, right? So uh, if we just do the four basic pillars, and I didn't plan on covering this tonight, but you know what? Why not? What the hell, right? So uh, in no particular order, because there, there's not an importance except what we put on it, right? I do think that the one I normally list is one um, should lead because that's more um, – the, the background as to why, right? So uh, let's say we're developing any technique or fist or kick or whatever, right? Okay. Um, so it could be unarmed, could be knife, could be whatever, right? Okay. So the first one is uh, weapon or skill familiarization, okay? So how do you properly make a certain fist, right? Um you know, for those of you who are watching this on YouTube or on Facebook Live or whatever, where it's video, you can see what I'm doing, right? I'm making this Shikan Ken, okay? Um, but a lot of people, they see a picture or they see somebody else do it, but they don't understand what muscles are firing to make that happen. So until we can, one, do it, and two, we practice it enough that it gets into muscle memory, okay? And here's the point, right? I, I tell this to my students all the time. We don't practice until we get it right, we practice until we can't get it wrong. 
under pressure, snap judgment when you need to do it, just like moving your foot from an accelerator pedal to a brake pedal, okay? The teenager who's still learning how to drive, they know how to work the accelerator, they know how to work the brake, they know how to go from one to the other. But when you can do that subconsciously, unconsciously, and not have to think about needing to step on the brake, okay, and you can do it successfully, right, under pressure, no left brain conscious thought and all that, then you own it, okay? But, okay, so just with the shikan can kind of thing, right, what, what most people don't get is it's the muscles back here that are making it, and the fingers and the muscles all kind of project in that direction. It's not just a half-curled fist, okay? This uses muscles on this side, which are different, right? And that's where people end up, if they don't pressure test the fist, right, they don't know that under pressure, this won't fold or buckle and screw up their hand, okay? So that's a whole other pillar. It's a whole other section, right, which is target work, okay, and pressure testing the strike or whatever it is, right, working with somebody uh, for resistance or doing strength training so that uh, you know that when somebody goes to move you, your alignment is, is what it's supposed to be, right? Certain types of training can only take you so far, right? So familiarization, that's one pillar holding this thing up, right? Uh, target work, right? Pressure testing it, striking, those kind of things, right? And a lot of people in this art are averse to doing it because that looks too karate-like. Now, only if your strikes look karate-like, right? There's a lot to be said for things that are borrowed. And the other thing that goes on, and I've had this conversation with me sensei and Shrek sensei and all these, uh, you know, all these uh, instructors, that people tend to confuse dojo training in Japan, which is very seminar style, with the way it should always be done. Right? But if you go to Sumaya Sensei's classes, if you go to Seno Sensei's classes, if you go to a bunch of these classes, right, um, what you'll see is that things are broken up and look more like a standard martial arts class, right, uh, where you're working on these things in pockets, in drills, and, and things like that, right? It's not, it's not just all focused on the mano-a-mano kind of thing because if your strikes have no bite, uh, it doesn't matter. Right. So I'm still being told that there's no uh, audio over on the YouTube side of things. I apologize. I don't know what's going on. Um, but, uh, hopefully everybody else can, um, can, uh, see what's going on. Anyway. So pillar number one, um, familiarization, right? So if, if I'm working with a long staff, right, um, where's the center of balance, right? And how's that different if I'm working with something that is long staff like, like I have to, grab a push broom and put that into, into, into use or, uh, you know, how's that different? Well, that classically, that would have been, uh, more like a halberd, you know, like a, a naginata or a nagamaki, uh, or a, a yadi uh, spear, something like that, right? Where you've got an end that is much, much heavier, right? So can I pick up something and find the center of balance quickly, right? And so I can maneuver it, uh, the way I need to, right? Does, does that, click or do I have to remember or do I, you know, is the, am I fighting the weapon, right? So, um, uh, so pillar one, two, pillar number, uh, well, again, just arbitrarily, pillar number three, uh, is, uh, I just call it shadow boxing, right? Where we're just kind of moving around, right? Solo, we're doing the technique, right? And I'm a big advocate of doing it both as the defender and as the attacker, right? Because at a certain point in your training, you're going to have to learn how to defend against these things. Right? Because, again, not my words. 
Hatsumisa says words, anybody that knows what they're doing, right? Um, but Hatsumisa says specifically says, regardless of the weapon, technique, or whatever, right? Knowing it is only half of the training. Knowing how to defend against it is the other half, right? Because if you don't do that, then you're deluding yourself into believing that you've got techniques that nobody can beat. And the reality is that every technique can be beaten, right? So, uh, again, I keep pointing out this one article that he wrote. If you, if you Google search it, right, you'll find it, right? Uh, it's, uh, pride goes before the fall. That's since they wrote that a long time ago, right? So we want to be careful that our own egocentric, uh, assumption of godliness or godhood, right? And I know people would, would you know, they, they, they ignore, they deny that, right? I've never said I was God. Yeah, but walking around with that judgmental bullshit attitude where you're condemning everybody else or trolling the internet and imposing your way of doing or whatever it is, right? Um, is assuming yourself as God. You're the final arbiter, right? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just passing on what somebody else said. Okay. So then you're Jesus, right? You're just, you're just the middleman, right? So ego is a nasty thing. But anyway, right, so pillar, uh, again, just the way I'm counting now, right, so we've got uh, familiarization, we have target work, we have shadow boxing, right, which allows you to to work on uh, flow and movement and freedom of movement and balance your own, right, uh, and find out where your weak points are and, and, and creatively kind of work things together and see, you know, how things can naturally transition from one point to the next, not just the kata, but in a free flow kind of thing. And the cool thing in that is you don't have the you don't have the 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 stress or strain or whatever of the resistance of another body that's there, right? Um, so you can just just kind of work, right? And then pillar number four is working with a partner, right? Because working with a partner um, provides the resistance and it provides the the feedback of your timing, your distancing, your angling, right? So now you've got a dance partner that you're kind of working things with, right? So um, they, they're all important, right? So if you can imagine these things, right? If you, if you take a piece of paper and just draw a rectangle, right? And then at the four corners, with inside the corners, just make a circle, right? So what we're doing is we're looking down on the roof from, from the top, okay? And we're assuming that you have a solid foundation that the, the pillars are standing on, right? But either way, right? So you're looking down on them, okay? So we get it, right? So the weight is equally distributed. Okay, what happens if you take away one of those pillars? Maybe nothing, right? As long as the pressure or or whatever the problem is that you're trying to solve doesn't go over to that corner of the building, maybe you'll be okay. But if it does, right? What happens if you take two away? <laughs> you probably have this like structure laying on the ground, right? Okay. Take three away. You get the idea, right? So these things are all important. Um, the problem is that people take one type of training that's done for expedience or it's done at a certain level, right? So you go to Hombu and you're training with Hatsumi Sensei or whoever, right? And the context is when you come to, when you come to the dojo, this is the way we're training, right? So it's very seminar style. It's very, what I mean by that is the topic or theme could be whatever, right? It's not structured, right? One on top of the next, right? So students don't necessarily have to have, it's, it's assumed and implied. It's assumed that you have it and implied that you need it, but nobody asked, right? So here's this stuff, right? But there's no foundational building block kind of like ladder up against the building 
one rung at a time to get there, right? So people are kind of left to their own devices. And then what happens is, because I've seen this, and, and I, truth be told, I did it a long time ago until, again, something clicked, right? Um, I go to Japan or go to some seminar or whatever, right? Get this new cool stuff and come back and one of two things would happen. In either case, I would be doing it in class, right? Next thing you know, that's what I'm teaching and that's what the students are getting regardless of where they are in the process, right? So uh, that comes about two, two perspectives, right? The, the person who's bringing it back or that's doing it, I'm not knocking anybody's process. You can do whatever you want, right? It's just that's you do you, I'll do me. But they bring the stuff back, and so, so the assumption or whatever in their head um, is, well, this is what we're working on now, right? Or I think worse than that, right, is the instructor or the person, right, that's doing it, right, in whatever context, right, that's now what they've decided to work on. So that's what they're now teaching. But the problem with that is that this is this is a big trap for instructors, right? I know I fell into it. I see people fall into it all the time, right? The problem is, is that teaching time is not learning time for me. And people confuse it, right? It's not class time for me, right? And it's not just different because... I'm teaching as opposed to me being in class and learning. And that's something that you see too, right? Instructors will show up at a seminar or they'll go to Japan or whatever, right? And uh, yes, they're practicing, but they'll keep leaning over and telling they're teaching students at the same time, right? What mode are you in, right? Are you in learning mode or are you in the expressing mode, okay? Because that's it's different, right? So I do my students no justice if I'm – teaching what I'm working on to develop because, one, I probably don't have it right uh, at the moment, right? So what are they getting? Well, they're getting a crippled version of it. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's skipping over the stuff that they need in place to be able to do that anyway, right? But from a mindset perspective, from a, from a time-based perspective, when I'm in student mode, right, student mode is present to future uh, directed or to present to future paced. What that means is I'm at a certain level, sp uh, skill, capability, progress, whatever. I'm at a certain level, and what I'm doing in the moment is to help me get better so I'll be better in the future, right? That's student mode. Teacher mode is past to present time frame. And what that means is what I have learned and gotten good at up to this point is what I'm presenting to students in the moment. It's two completely different things, right? In teacher mode, past knowledge and experience has been being presented in the moment. Student mode, present capability in the moment, I'm working on other things to improve that so that in the future I will have these skills owned, right? Um, but people are crossing, like the old Ghostbusters movies, right? Don't cross the streams, right? Um, because it's just, it, 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 people want to know why their students 
leave, right? Um, there's a rule in psychology that a confused mind always says no. Okay, so it's not that you don't get the the the, the most hardcore or committed or crazy or whatever folks to stay through that kind of process, but the average person can't process that because it's too confusing, right? Or they run into like what I call preteen or teenager mode where they keep hearing no or they keep making mistakes um, and they'll hit a point where the belief is, what's the point? I'm never going to get this. So they quit or they go off and do something easier or whatever. And that's not serving them either. Okay? So one of the things I teach my students in this in this um, instructor training program I have is that every class that you teach, every class that I teach, right? I keep this, this is always in my head, right? Every class I teach, every student in that classroom is either, at the end of that class, they are either one step closer to black belt or the next level of black belt or whatever that skill progression, uh, you know, we use in whatever program I'm, I'm doing, right? They're either one step closer to that or they're one step closer to the door or one step closer to quitting, okay? But what students or what teachers do and instructors do from an egocentric standpoint is they write it off to, well, students aren't just aren't as committed as I am or I can't get this many people to stay or I just don't know. Every class is a crapshoot. I don't know if people are going to show up or not, okay? Maybe it's not that they don't want to learn. Maybe it's not that they're not committed, Right? Maybe it's that they're not being inspired. And I don't mean nurture them like with kit gloves and, you know, treat them like babies and things like that or, or bait them or, or whatever, right? What I mean is if we're confusing the crap out of them, right, and we've got somebody who should be working in uh, the basics and the mechanics uh, or in the dynamics, right, the intermediate phases, right, and we have them working on upper-level black belt stuff that uh, is way beyond – the stuff that they don't even have yet, right? To be able to make that work, we're, we're <laughs> he's the instructor of the problem, right? But anyway, again, people can do that. I'm, I'm not, that one of the problems in the martial arts is that um, there's there's this assumption, and I, I actually just found this out from, from other um, uh, professors and teachers and whatnot, that this is not uh, just a martial arts thing, but it tends to be maybe just an education kind of thing. Um, I'm, my home office is in the rental basement. Sorry, so that's a heater kicking in. Anyway, so I'll just speak up. So, um, but there's this, there's this assumption that because somebody learns something and has a certain color belt or certificate or whatever, that somehow qualifies them to teach. But teaching is a skill in and of itself because it requires understanding how to communicate to different personality types, to different um, people of different learning styles, right? Are they visual? Are they uh, internal? Are they tactile? Are they uh, auditory? That kind of thing, right? Um, it, it requires different things, right? And all really good teachers or saints or sages or whatever over time had this ability to speak the listen of the person they were communicating to. Right? It's a huge uh, neuro-linguistic programming or NLP uh, trait, right? That you listen first, 
learn their Seder types and, and those kind of things, right? And then be able to reflect that back, right? Hasmi uh, Sensei has always said, he's not a good teacher, right? He demonstrates and hopes that people are inspired by that to dig deeper and learn more. But if they're trying to learn from him, it's going to be very difficult because he's, he's not a good structured teacher, right? But nobody wants to hear that, right? Because anyway, for those of you listening to the podcast audio only, I just did a simulated bow kind of thing because it, you know, people, uh, often people want to be disciples and they want to do the worship thing rather than do the hard work. And I'm not saying people don't do hard work, okay? But, you know, they like to stay within their comfort zones and they like to play with their own assumptions, right? Anyway, sorry. So, um, that got started earlier. There was another question that came in. I think it was from Perry. Can people over 60 still be effective in, I'm assuming you're talking about in this style of martial arts or in any style of martial arts? I think it depends on what. And again, what's your basis for for the effectiveness? Okay? Because I believe that if somebody who's 60 is still trying to train like they're 20 or train like they have the same kind of problems they're going to have when they're 20. Right. I don't mean problems like aching body and all that. I mean, like the same kind of attacks that people are going to come, be coming at you with. Right. Those kind of things. Right. Um, 20 year old attackers tend to act a certain way. 20 year old, uh, 20 year olds who are being attacked. Right. What's their physical state? What's their, you know, what, you know, what's their physicality and all that kind of stuff. Right. All these things are different. Right. And again, I, I hate using the sensei says phrase, but in this realm, People tend to be, that, that tends to be like the credibility thing, right? It's somehow the proof that I trained with Sensei because I can regurgitate something that Sensei said in a class. Well, shit, I could read any of the books that Sensei has written and quote from that, right? But what about the, what about the knowledge and experience that the instructor has because they've run that knowledge through a process and came out on the other end being able to add to the body of knowledge or uh, just being able to validate that it's true because they're not just parroting somebody else's words, right? When I was a cop and as an investigator, one of the things was don't be blindsided by a piece of evidence because all evidence needs to be verified and double-checked against other evidence. Otherwise, you get tunnel vision and your case runs astray and then you get made a fool out of on the, on the stand in court because you didn't, you didn't double-check things, right? It's the same thing with this, right? Uh, one of my teachers, uh, a long time ago, is an ex, um, or, sorry, not ex, former Marine, right? Uh, Shoshi Malstrom. More often than not, that I can think of, he's led off, uh, seminars with words that just kind of threw people, right? And what he would say is, okay, so this is what we're working on this, the, this, uh, today, this session, this class, uh, this weekend, whatever, right? But before we do that, let me just remind you that everything I'm about to teach you is shit. Right? That doesn't mean it doesn't have any value, but to you, until you take those lessons and you work them, including trying to make them fail and understanding under what conditions they fail and under what conditions they work, right? So you can think for yourself, right? Um, they're, they're worth, they're worth the same as, as a pile of shit. As a matter of fact, the pile of shit is worth more because it can be used as fertilizer, right? But if you just blindly take somebody, anybody's lesson, and you don't work it, and you don't run it through the process, then, you know, you, sorry, universal justice says you deserve what you get on the other end, 
Okay. And so I, I remember the first time I met Tracy Sensei, for those of you that's been in the yard and you, you know him, right? Kind of smiles and walks around with this, this goofy smile and whatnot. And, um, but man, he's a killer underneath. First time I met him, uh, it was at this seminar that I'm not sure was actually supposed to take place. Anyway, I was at this, I was at this class, right? And so he's talking about the problem with people having just ginormous egos, right? And uh, he was pointing out the sternum, right? And in, in Japanese, right, uh, the word for sternum or just generally bone, right, is kotsu, right? But kotsu can also mean ego, right? So the, um, the uh, sternum in Japan, right, is known as the ego bone. Right? Because when somebody has a big old freaking ego, right? For those of you watching video, you can see this, right? For everybody else, I'm puffing out my chest, right? They push out, right? They, they lead with this thing, right? So the sternum is all puffed out, right? So it's leading, right? So the bigger the ego, the farther out the chest puffs, right? So um, it's called the ego bone, right? And so he's got this smile on his face, right? And it's funny because I see this all the time. It's just, oh, it, now it makes me smile. It used to drive me nuts, right? People are standing around with their hands on their hips or their chest puffed out, and they've got this nodding thing going on, like they're validating the teacher's lesson, like, absolutely, what he's saying is true, right? And so, as <laughs> Rick-sensei is saying, uh, many people uh, training have this problem, big ego bone. And then he says, many people in this room, too, I think so, right? And he's smiling. And... Like, I look around the room, and there's people in this pose nodding, right? And, like, my jaw just dropped open, like, holy shit, they're not even listening, right? And he and I, our eyes met for, like, half a second. I've got this, like, I must have had this open mouth, like, one, holy shit, you just said that to these people, and two, they don't even know that you're talking about them, right? And he just smiles. And, and not, right? And it was the, the beginning to a, a really awesome relationship. But anyway, um, he's talking about this big ego bone kind of thing, right? And how, how it, it's this huge trap, right? So anyway, um, so we, we just, we need to be, we need to be mindful, right? That we're not, I, I just, one of the episodes, a couple episodes back, right? I talked about, uh, some of the ways, right? I think I covered three different ways that we can get in our own way and be an accomplice to our own ass kicking, right? And this is one of them, right? We just, you know, we get so overconfident or we think we know everything or, yeah, you know, whatever. We're working on our own training, but we can't let anybody else know that, you know, maybe we don't know. Or we maybe don't, won't look in the mirror and go, do you know what you think you know? Or are you doing what a lot of Westerners do right, and so what they're doing is they're trying to overlay a Western mental or a Western mindset and understanding of the terminology over not just another culture, but this stuff that was passed down from like hundreds or thousands of years ago, right? When even modern Japanese have a hard time understanding that because the thinking was different, right? So you know, be careful that you're not falling for your own. Bullshit. Anyway, all right, so uh, anything else pop up in here? Okay, uh, thank you for responding. Uh, no, yeah, no problem. Okay, so uh, all right, so let's take a look at these things, right? All right, so uh, we need to understand that when you learn, a, you, you don't learn a lesson for the first time, kata skill, whatever, right? Um, chances are it's not straight ready. 
no matter how much you, how much you think you understand it. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, again, Hatsumi Sensei, some of these other teachers and whatnot, they would, they would teach stuff. And this was early on. Okay. Cause, and the other thing people need to understand is that the art has transitioned to higher levels to follow a lot of us that started early on. Right. So about every five years, Hatsumi Sensei, like, changes the focus, not the theme for the year, the level at which we're training. So there's been like four or five transitions, right? So uh, in the very beginning, early on, right, we were looking at mechanics, right, basics and mechanics, right? And then that transitioned into a di dynamic kind of thing, right? Balance, timing, distancing, and all that, right? Not that he wasn't talking about that early on, but he was more focused on, right, in, in over here we do it this way and then, then this way and this is why and here's the body mechanics and, and those kind of things right and then there's a tr there's this transition to to the dynamics and then there was a transition to uh, to scenario right to like making it real and and those kind of things right during that transitional time um, he was teaching things like uh, don't forget to, to practice against uh, or pay attention to the way attackers are attacking in the region or area where you live, okay? Because that's what you're going to have to defend against. So make sure you're doing that, right, or you won't be prepared, right? How do they do that? Uh, the other thing he was looking at was um, uh, somebody would make a mistake, and he'd go, oh, don't, 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 no, 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 you don't get to restart, okay? Those things can happen. So make sure you're training to recover and keep moving on the fly when those things happen, right? So you don't get do-overs, right? The idea is you get yourself in that mess, get yourself out, okay? Um, so there's this whole transition to the reality of the moment, right? And then there was a transition to looking at, like, these different kind of feelings and things like that. Like, I remember one year um, early on, right, in, like, in the mechanics of the dynamics phase, we looked at Kukishinden school. Right, um, Kukishin translates as nine demon gods. Okay, Den is the the little add-on that uh, uh, Takeda Sensei uh, gave when when he gave the, the the five branches right to Takamatsu. Den identified the Takamatsu branch from the other Kukishin things. Okay, so. Um, uh, when we worked on that, right, oh, we were just mauling each other, right? It was the fighting like you had the power of nine demon gods that this guy felt like he was just in hell, right, and being attacked. And just it, it, was a, it was a sense of overwhelm, right? But then years later, we're in this other phase, right, and... So now the theme, right, because we're back on Kukishin, right? Nine demon gods, right? So cool, right? But that's the overall thing. That's the obvious side of things, right? That's the, yeah, that's what, mm, right? Except that as you go to these different transitional levels, we're dropping things like even the idea of winning or losing, right? Let him lead the dance, those kind of things, right? Let, let the divine winds, and all these kind of weird descriptors that, again, people stand around like a freaking horse with their head in a feed bag nodding like they understand, but their stuff doesn't look any different, right? So, or everybody's trying to copy Hatsumi Sensei when they should be working on basic mechanics because they can't even do their come right, right? I know they think they can, 
right? But anyway, right? So the, what they're trying to do is shortcut the whole process that this guy and all, ma- all the master teachers went through. They're trying to shortcut the system because ego wants to be like that guy without all the extra work, right? I just want to do it his way. During which year or which era or which decade? Because I've watched him drop more and more stuff to where he's now he's, you know, doing what he's doing now. But I didn't happen to train with him when Tuck say had him doing very, do it this way, right? So anyway, it's a process, right? So, um, uh, so this, this last time, right, uh, that we were doing it, right? Now his preframe was imagine having that much power. Imagine having that much skill that problem creeps up. You take care of it, right? What are you going to do then? Right? How boring would life be? And he said this along the way too with people's questions like, how did, how does Kuji work and how do you know and, right? But anyway, right? So how boring would life be if something crapped up and you could just like, that sounds pretty alluring now, right? But what are you going to do with all your freaking time if it takes no time to solve something? Right? And that was his point, right? So the analogy was like a cat catching a mouse to eat it. He knows he's going to eat the mouse, but he plays with it. Why? What the hell else is he going to do, right? If he could just stomp on it and then eat it, then what? He's going to take a nap. He's been doing that the other freaking 23 hours of the day. So the idea here was literally playing with your food, okay? So you learn to let go of the, he's attacking me, I'm going to kill him kind of thing, and you get to the, well, this will be some entertainment for a few minutes. Right? It's a very different mindset. Right? And it sounds kind of odd. It's counterintuitive and all that, right? But it's a, that's why a lot of this stuff is called crazy wisdom. Because to the, again, this is going to sound harsh, but to the lower level individual who has doubts and worries and needs and, and all that kind of stuff, right? This is, this sounds all woo woo shit. This is not, this is not what they're, they're looking for, right? They want to be the biggest, baddest ass on the block, right? Yeah. Except that if you're that person, you might as well just go to your computer and printer and print out a bullseye and make sure you got one on your head, one on your chest, one on your back, because you're going to be attracting more shit, right? And you're probably going to be in more fights because you haven't learned how to become invisible in the face of the enemy, which is the top level in the ninja stuff, right? So you don't have shin 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 gong. You don't have the mind and eyes of God. Not that you are God. You don't have that level of understanding and detachment and, and whatnot, right? So compassion and all these things are still going on, but you're not getting closer to the the ideal that's to be realized in the training, you've decided, and I'm saying you, but I don't mean you guys. I'm just using it as a general term because you're all perfect, right? So, but you haven't crystallized things down to just this little freaking nugget that's somehow a bastardized version of this whole thing, right? So anyway, all right. So anyway, let's get back to this, right? So the question, right? The question is how do we go from this model, this example of 
strategies and tactical application of things I can do with my body and to his body, right? How do I take that from a lesson to be literally being street ready? Not the assumption of being street ready, but actually street ready. What I mean is, just like I meant with the, the accelerator to the brake and all that, right? Uh, you know, you're having a conversation somebody with somebody in a locker room at the gym, right, after a shower, and you're getting dressed and you're tying your shoes, right? But you're having this conversation, right? How much brain work is on the tying the shoes? I mean, unless you've worn Velcro your entire life, it's a no-brainer, right? Your muscles can do it without you thinking about it, right? Or you get out of the pool and you're talking to somebody and somebody tosses you a towel, right? You reach out, you grab it, and you go right to toweling yourself off. You don't do what the three-year-old does that braces themselves and reaches out stiffened arms, and then this thing hits and kind of bounces around and you you roughly try to clutch at it, right, to get it, and then, you know, try to do this thing, right? You own it. It becomes so second nature that, again, it's you, you don't just do it right. You can't get it wrong, right? It becomes another one of your habit patterns, okay? So there's two there's two approaches that I take. One is borrowing a couple thousand-year-old classical model, right, that most of you have probably already heard of, right, that shuhari uh, model, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a progression, right? And then uh, there was something that I did as an expedient kind of based on this, but uh, I, I call it my zero-point framework. I'll kind of explain it because this is going to go out on the podcast and it's going to be audio only. So um, I'm, I'm not going to throw something up on a screen that people aren't going to be able to see. I'll describe what you can do to kind of map it out, but uh, it would be pointless to do it the other way. So anyway, the Shuhari model, right? Shu, S-H-U, right? Not the same as Tay, hands, a different kanji, right? Shu means to copy or preserve, Okay. So, and I'm not, I'm not going into the depth of these things. I, I don't have the time, right? We're, we're running out of time as, as it is, right? The, the big thing with this Kuden is a big, broad stroke overview, right? Uh, if you get more of my programs or you're working with me one-on-one or whatnot, then we'll get into the nitty-gritty. But otherwise, uh, I'm giving you enough that you can do what any good ninja in the 21st century would do. Google it. Or go find other people and ask questions. Whatever you feel most comfortable with, right? But, right, as... as Ninja or aspiring ninja, okay. Number one, number one quality or skill is information gathering. So, um, anyway, so all right. So, shoot means to copy or preserve, right? So, the gist of this level of training, right? It's really focused on mechanics, okay. Being able to do the forms. I don't care which one, okay. But what's the litmus test, right? What's the what's the the level of proficiency that says, okay, you can move on, okay? It's when you can copy your teacher's movement, when you can make your technique look like theirs. Yeah, but Sensei, what if what if their technique is off? Well, if it's badly off and you know that, uh, you know, you should probably be working with somebody else and you're not, then <laughs> that's what my teachers used to say, suffer. <laughs> Sorry, I laugh about this stuff, but I'm not telling you anything I didn't hear and have to swallow my pride and all that kind of stuff with, right? Um, but all teachers are working and they'll get better, right? So at whatever level they're working on it, whatever, you know, however they de- demonstrate it to you, um, if, if you can't do it, if you can't copy it, then what's the point of, answer or asking questions 
Like, when would I use this? Uh, uh, what would this be good for? Or, or how, you know, what kind of, what kind of attacker type? If you can't do it, why does that matter? Noguchi Sensei is really, well, I don't know if he does it anymore, but he used to do that a long time ago. People would ask questions. Oh, what lineage does this come from? And which scroll is this on? You go, doesn't matter. If you can't do it, what's it matter? Okay? You're asking all kinds of questions that have no bearing on your ability to do this thing well, right? So anyway, that's the litmus test, right? So I would say when you can do it eight out of ten times without a mistake and it's correct, then, okay, now you can look at the next thing, right? Uh, next level, ha, H-A, right? Not leaf, not whatever, okay? So ha, in this case, means to break, right? Not It's not ori, but it it's, it's still related, right? But you're breaking it. Okay, so what are you breaking? You're breaking the form. You're breaking the model. So this is where Henka comes in, okay? And nothing, well, <laughs> few things, make me grind my molars down to nothing. And people who throw the word Henka variation around and have no friggin' idea what it means, okay? So, and husband, again, Hatsumi Sensei said, just for those people who need for me to say that, so it, it has some kind of validation behind it, right? But you can go look it up. Look at, there's, there's Taikai's on, on recordings and all kinds of things where if you listen to what he's saying and not just watching the cool moves, right? And you take them to heart, he's been teaching this stuff for years, right? He has done things and he'll show something and say, Okay, this is Henka, right? So it's important that you understand the difference between a Henka and doing whatever you want. Because there's a huge difference between a Henka, a true variation of a given technique, and something else. Okay? So Henka, what allows a technique, a kata, let's say it's Seon, right? Or Shihaku or whatever, right? Take this kata, right? There's an essential nature to it, a kotsu. There's kotsu again, right? So there's this kotsu, this, this essential nature of what the technique is doing to him, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, those kind of things, right? How it's controlling the bubble and setting things up so that the next thing that the kata says is going to happen so it can do its next move happens by default. Something else can't happen, okay? Um, then when you substitute one thing for another that does the exact same thing that you just substituted. So let's say I'm doing um, something simple, like osotonage, right? The, uh, a rear hip throw kind of thing, right? So it works on the omotegyaku principle, right? Which is taking the person off their heels evenly so the body gets locked and doesn't have to step properly, right? So it, it, it gets stuck on itself, right? So, but it, you're taking them off their heels. Omote, the obvious way to break somebody's balance. Ura is not just taking them in the opposite direction. It's understanding how to move a balance line that's not directly under their feet because of the main joint in your body, your, your hips, your waist, right? How to move that all the way back to the feet where it is for omote gyaku and then take them. So it's not, it's not just the opposite direction, right? But anyway, um, so, uh, Back to Henka, right? So um, let's say with this Omote Gyaku, right? Normally it's just kind of a, 
I'm, I'm borrowing words here because it's an expedient, right? There's kind of this push-pull, and I'm stepping through and turning my body, and he comes off his heels and, and falls, right? Okay, so, great, all right? So how many other things can I do that, that take him that way, right? And some of these things have kata names or, or technique names or whatever, but let's just say that I'm stepping in to do this, and all of a sudden he resists, he locks up. So now just body movement alone isn't going to take it, okay? So let's say, let's see, uh, normal commute setup, right? I have his lapel with my right hand, his sleeve with my left. He has the same thing in the opposite direction. So just stay with what I call white belt model, okay? So we go through and I step through with my right leg and all of a sudden he locks down, right? So I kind of have him, but not enough. And so he's, he's locked down and resisting. So we end up in a stalemate position, okay? Um, this is quite common, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, there are kata uh, that have grown out of this this stalemate kind of position. Uh, kirisage, kiriage. Uh, there are these sword kind of things where the swords come together and, and you're in a stalemate position. And then your answer is how to break out of that, how to, how to get out of it without compromising yourself, right? But if you're just learning the kata and just doing the moves, you don't understand the dynamics and the reason behind it, right, and, and why you'd be doing what you're doing. So anyway, um, so, so right hand is on his chest, shoulder, maybe I have him by the lapel or whatever, but I'm through there, and as soon as I feel this and he locks down, and, you know, I have a choice. Try to muscle it to break his balance, right, or what, okay? Well, that was the initial movement, and I almost have him, right? So I take my hand off, turn it into a knife hand, Catch him, catch him on the neck so that it continues to drive him in the same direction. He takes him off his feet, boom, and he's down, right? So did I throw him or did I strike him and he fell down? How about if I use the strike instead of just a push to make that same thing happen? That's a henka, right? But if you run into resistance and you back off and then punch him once or twice and then kick him in the groin and then back off, right, you don't go, so, um, like, that's what I had, so that's what I did. That's a henka. That's a variation. No, it isn't. It's something completely different. It's not wrong, but it's not what you were doing. It had a different ending, so it's not a bona fide henka, right? So the idea with the breaking, the hot level of training, is you start breaking the kata, and so you do little things that kind of throw you off, and then you've got to kind of reclaim things, or you uh, learn to not be married to the technique, so you run into resistance, and something else is happening, so you let go of what you initially wanted and shift into something else, right? That's not henka, right? That's more of a waza idea, right? But anyway, um, so what you're doing is you start to do substitution things, right? So the kata says, I'm doing, uh, we're doing ichimoji no kata, right? So I step back, I do that uh, gyoko counter-strike, right? And I come in with this omote shito kind of thing, right? Um, but as a first henka, what I could do is just change sides. Many people actually work the technique on both sides to the point that both sides, to a master watching you from across the room who knows what they're looking at, can't tell which is your weak side and which is your strong side. That's how I was taught okay? by senior Japanese Shion. When they can look across the room and see me and not be able to tell which is my weak side, then I have it. Okay, But Henka number one should be being able to do it Saw you, left and right. Left side, right side. Okay? 
Then, let's say I step back and I do this, and instead of coming in with omote shito to the, uh, let's see, that would be the left side of his head, if, or left side of his neck if I'm striking with my right hand. Instead of that, right, I come in with an urashito to the right side of his neck, to the opposite side, okay? Still itimonzi no kata, because itimonzi no kata is an example of how ichimonji no kumai would be used in a situation, okay? And if we're properly, this is where using the kihon hapo process comes in. And that's going to throw a lot of people off who think that the kihon hapo, these eight techniques that people call the kihon hapo, right, um, are really kihon apan, eight things, okay? But the kihon hapo, right, is a process, where you make eight eight variations of every technique, and then you make eight variations of every one of those variations, and then you make eight variations of until the original model, which is what it is, it's just an example, right, of the principles and concepts and the strategies and tactical application of certain movements, right, how they could show up, right? And so eventually that one model just becomes another possible variation of this principle or concept in in action, right? Uh, again, for my guys that are following along with the Mikyo training and all that, um, this is the Heart Sutra enacted, right? It's the, that the form is how the formless looks, right? Principles and concepts are formless, right? They're, for most people, they're theoretical, right? But the way we use them, like leverage or whatever, right? That's what it looks like in the moment, okay? So uh, just like a seat, Something you would sit on, right? Can look like a chair, can look like a couch or a sofa, can look like a settee, can look like a beanbag chair, can whatever, right? Uh, it can look like seiza or fudoza, right? It's just it, the concept or principle of sitting, right? Or furniture that makes sitting more comfortable or easier. That can take on all kinds of forms, right? So it's the same idea. But either way, right? So you have this process for breaking it so that you now can fit into different things, right? Um, how do you how do you apply Ichimonji no Kata? Uh, everybody knows how to do it against a T, right? But how do you do it against a jab? Or is it workable against a jab, right? How do you go do it against somebody throwing a jab right cross or a jab uppercut, right? What kind of considerations for that kind of fighter? What kind of, uh, how do you apply it against somebody throwing a tight right cross or somebody throwing these big old wide flailing kind of things, right? Uh, and you're still counter-striking the arm and coming in with the uh, the knife hand, right? That's what we're talking about, breaking it up so that you can apply the same damn technique against different types of fighters, right? Um, so, you know, how, how does what does Ichimonji no Kata look like um, when somebody's reaching in to grab and you you'll kind of shift and counter with a hoko kind of thing where both arms come up open him up, and then you come in, right? So can you do Ichimonji no Kata not using Ichimonji no Kamai? Can you use it, Can you do Ichimonji no Kata with Doko no Kamai, Hoko no Kamai, Kose no Kamai, Bobi no Kamai, whatever, right? Um, that's the variation kind of stuff we're talking about, right? And then at some point, maybe it's not uh, the counter-strike and the Omote Shito coming in. Maybe it's a kick, right? So how do I have to kick him? What's the kick angle that will knock him down in the same direction or move him in the same direction that Ichimonji no Kata did? So we're not just doing whatever. So anyway, that's breaking it up, right? So we become more, more proficient at using that technique 
that embodiment of principles, concepts, tactics, strategic thinking, those kind of things, right, in more situations. That's like taking that bow tie I was talking about for tying your shoes, right, and then branching out and understanding it. Okay, so it's a slip knot, and it's easily undone from the outside but holds whatever it's supposed to hold on the inside securely, right? But what other what other uh, uh, uses, right? Well, tying my gi, right? That's a, the same, it's the exact same knot, right? Uh, tying a bow on a, on a present that I'm going to give somebody, right, with some ribbon. It's the same knot, right? That kind of thing, right? So understanding it from its essential nature kind of thing, so you're branching out, right? And then B, R-I, as we would write it, right, B, right, means to transcend, to go beyond the technique, right? But you have to understand it so that you can do what the master teachers and, and Soke and whatnot do, where they're moving around in Shizen or Shizen Tai, and they're doing exactly the same thing. But if everybody else tried to copy that, they would have sloppy shit. They would have sloppy technique, right? Because they're not doing the same thing. They know the principles and concepts of distancing, angling, balance control, timing, all those kind of things to such a degree they don't need the defensive armored kamai to do it. Okay, so that's this transcending kind of thing, right? Anyway, just to cut things, uh, actually, you know what? We're we're over time. I'm going to save the zero point thing for another for another session, right? But it's important to understand these processes. So let me just see if anything else came in. Um, somebody says liked and shared. I appreciate it. Uh, how to use a club, knife defenses, the techniques needed to be need to be simple. Uh, this is not the context for me to be teaching that kind of stuff, right? Um, I'm going to be releasing a new program here pretty soon. That's pretty much just a you can do a per class or monthly kind of thing because there's two classes a week that we uh, actually uh, present on Zoom. And then uh, the recordings would be available to people who either couldn't make it or uh, wanted to refer back to things and all that, right? So basically, it'd be like being in class with us, but you're not. You're going to be watching through uh, the computer screen. Uh, the other one I'm going to be releasing is actually a reboot of our module one of five modules from white to Shodan, right? Um, that is where I put how to use this stuff to deal with uh, the most common street attacks, right, um, and how people in the West tend to tend to come at you, right? So how do we do that using the principles and concepts uh, that a beginner can put to use? And they're basics, right? But at the same time, don't confuse basics with being crap because basics are the – it's the it's it's the advanced stuff. It's just, you know, I call them basics because they're easily applied to the 95 to 98% of attacks that, that are going to come at you, but they don't need anything more. Right? You don't, you don't need 2,000 year old secrets to defend against what most people, enraged or not, throw at you. Now, the other 2 to 5%, that's where you, you want to stick with the training because those are the people that are going to beat, break, or kill you. And I don't just mean that they have the intention, but they flail or they don't know how to grab and hit like we do. Uh, and I don't mean style-wise like we do. I mean with the intent to shut that system down. Right. I mean, they're just angry and they're just they're, they're they want bragging rights or whatever. OK, um, not that they're not dangerous and they're not a problem. But when you really understand what it is you're looking at, we don't need more than basics to handle that. 
Okay. So learning a shitload of techniques so that you can feel like a 16th century or 13th century warrior, um, and getting busted in the face by somebody who throws a right cross because you never studied your stuff or practiced your stuff against that right cross. Not my fault. Okay. So anyway, I'll, I'll be rebooting that one again here, uh, soon as well, like within days. But anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up next time. Uh, we'll, we'll look at the zero point kind of thing and the, the gist, I'll just kind of kind of leave this out there um, so you'll get the gist when we when we do the next episode, bro. So the gist is that anytime you're given a technique, that's what I call the zero point, right? Here's this model, right? But if you took a piece of paper, and I'm going to short circuit this, right? But um, we'll do the full exercise later, right? If you could imagine that there are lines, like if you wrote this out in the middle of a piece of paper, and then below it, there could be, who knows, five things, ten things, a hundred things, or whatever, that are the keyhole, no keyhole, right? So that technique you were given is the keyhole, the fundamental. Here's the model, right? It's not straight ready. It's a teaching tool. Does that mean it can't be? No, right? But the way you were taught it and where you are, it's, it's a learning model, right? So everything below that, right, are all the things that you need to learn and get good at to be able to do the technique, the kata, correctly. Whether it's the kamai or the strike or the kicks or the, the way the legs move or the balance control or whatever, right? All those things have to be in place and you have to be able to do them well to be able to do the kata well, right? So all that has to be done to be able to do this. Not just kind of, oh, that looks, well, yeah, that looks obvious. It's kind of like when people look at videos on, on YouTube, right? Oh, oh, so he steps back with this leg and he does this and he just, really, that's all he does? Oh, shit, dude, you're a master. Where are your videos? Right? So, um, but there's that, right? Then now we're able to do the technique. Now imagine a bunch of lines above that and a bunch of things, five, ten, hundred, whatever, right? That have to be worked through with that technique to the point where you are ready for Joe Jack shit on the street who's doing whatever he wants, his style, not yours, his intensity, not yours, right? Okay? And you're able to apply that technique or pieces of it against him at his timing, at his speed, at his flow, right? And be able to use it. And here's the thing. This, this was a definition I had to conform to based on what my teachers had me working on, okay? Otherwise, if we don't do this, we're going to end up looking like all these other martial arts schools that have the kata portion of class, that have the self-defense portion of class that doesn't look anything like that, and that has the scoring portion of class that doesn't look anything like the other two. So what, are you learning one art? Are you learning three different things, but we're just going to call it all the same thing, right? Where you're able to take your stuff that you've learned, and when you do it on the street, it's going to be this stuff, right? Okay? It's not going to be something else, right? So being able to take your technique and the pieces of it and all that, to be able to, to it's street ready. It's, when somebody comes at you, you don't have to think about, do I have onikudaki or not? Or does my arm go, right? Or I'm trying to do something that I really don't have the setup for, but because it's my favorite, I'm going to try to do this. That's just, you know, pride goes before the fall, right? So, um, we're going to talk about some of those things, right? So during the next episode, we'll do that. So I'll lay, lay the thing out, uh, try to have some uh, note paper or whatever that you can kind of draw this diagram out with and all that. And um, then we'll uh, uh, 
well, I'll work you through it, and then I'm going to talk about some of these things in each of these, like below the zero point, above the zero point, um, that I, I think are highly overlooked, that people are going to need to, uh, to, to really have to have their proverbial shit together. All right, one more question that popped in. Do you teach three-day style course, which is a short course of the whole system? Uh, no, sir, I do not. Uh, what I do have um, in the archives is I have a an advanced Sanshin Kyonapo home study course uh, that uh, actually takes people through the um, the Sanshin process and the Kyonapo process um, as I was taught it way back in 80, 81 to 86, that kind of thing, when things were, they were different, right? And uh, we were given multiple kata for chino kata, or multiple forms, multiple ways to do chino kata, suino kata, kano kata, that kind of thing, right? Um, we really didn't have a kionapo. <laughs> so one day somebody said, oh, well, that's what that is. Oh. Okay. Shit. Didn't know, right? We just had, here's this thing. There were lots of Japanese instructors back then, too. Somebody would say, hey, you know, do this part of the kionapo. And they'd go, what is that? Because training was all based on principles and concepts, which is why my school, Warrior Concepts, is called Warrior Concepts and not Tic-Tac-Doe, Jutsu, or Ryu, or whatever. Okay? So, anyway, um, so we'll take a look at those. Uh, but um, what I did do uh, on Facebook uh, during the pandemic was I did a five-day Ninjutsu Mastery Kickstarter course, or as a challenge, right? That was to allow people to set up a good foundation and to give them some things to work on to start working on this process of mastering this art, right? And when you know it, <laughs> just like usual, right? Uh, people came out of the woodwork, right? You're teaching people to be a ninja master in five days. That's their fraud, fake. Really? You can read well, right? Because there was a link to the information page that explained exactly what we're doing, what the premise was and everything, but people let assumptions lead and great. Okay. Here's the funny part, right? I count that as a successful uh, campaign to get new students. I got new students out of it, right? But it was successful for, for me, okay, for two reasons. One, literally, it was like a 49-51% split on people that, like, loved the idea and wanted to do it and were just flaming me, right? And that's awesome because I am, an, I am a not-on-the-fence kind of person. I'm a love-me-or-hate-me kind of person. If you're on the fence... Give me half a second because I'm going to push. We're going to find out where you stand with me. And then you and I can save a whole lot of time and effort, uh, wasting time to dance around and then you hate me later or who gives a shit, right? So, um, but um, the cool thing that they don't understand is that the flamers actually got me into a position to promote that program with absolutely no money that I had to spend on Facebook ads. Because the Facebook algorithm looks at all of those comments, good, bad, or indifferent, as, oh, people like his stuff. So they showed it to a ton more people for free. So thank you, haters. You served this ninja well. I appreciate it. Right? So, and that's the thing with these two, right? Can, can you use even the negative stuff as fodder to produce the results you want? Right? Not just in a fist fight. Right? Some other episode, we're going to talk about how to take 
the, the model, Ichimonjino Kata, okay, and apply it during an argument or against a pushy salesman or in any other challenge situation of your life where it's not literal fist flying. And we're going to get down to the kotsu essence of what's going on. Because otherwise, what makes you any different from anybody else doing any other martial art thinking their shit's best just like you do? Okay? There's only so many things you can do with a human body and so many things you can do with or against it, right? To it, with it, whatever. There's only so many things, right? What's what's the strategic thinking behind it that these past masters passed down that provided for survivability and not just protecting my damn fragile ego and that's why I get into fights or that's why I want to be the tough guy on the block? This is about invisibility. They shouldn't see you coming. They should have no freaking idea. One of my teachers used to call it, Develop yourself to the ability or develop your techniques and skills to the ability where it's like an open bear trap. As long as people avoid the trap, no harm, no foul. Okay? But the, the trap doesn't chase people down the path. It's just there. He steps into it, the trap closes, he can't get out. Unless he gnaws his own damn leg off, he can't get out. That's a whole different way of thinking. But if... This was about thinking and fighting and all that the same way every other fighter or martial artist does. We wouldn't have an advantage because they would they would know what they were looking at. They would know how to defend against it. They have experience. For it. So, you know, so now you're back to being a teenager, right, who's got to try to be trickier than everybody else. How about if you just think and operate differently than everybody else so they have no freaking idea what you're doing and they have to make up a solution for you on the fly? in the moment when they don't have time. Okay? All right, that's it, guys. I'm going to wrap this up. i got to go. Uh, I appreciate everybody that was on. We had some people more or less, all that kind of stuff. I appreciate the questions from some folks. Um, I appreciate so those of you who are, that are sharing this as well. Uh, my admin assistant has been stripping out the audio from the previous episodes uh, to get them uh, up where they're going. So they're going on to the library uh, page at modernninjawarrior.com forward slash uh, Kuden dash podcast dash episodes. And they'll also, um, as soon as these other sites kind of grab them and, and move them, which normally happens very quickly now because we have what almost, well, before 2.0 came out for Kuden, we had 68 episodes. So, so they're pretty good at, at grabbing the stuff and getting it up. But we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher Radio, we're on Google Play. And uh, just last time I did a freaking search for Kuden, uh, we're on a whole bunch of podcast directory sites that I've never heard of before. But we're on the big ones. Uh, I don't know if we made it to Spotify yet. That was a question somebody had uh, an episode or two ago. But um, I, I don't need to be there um, because there's all these other resources, right? So uh, as Ninja, right, have more than one resource for things so that you can double-check your things. Or if one resource gets pulled down, you're not left out in the wind. Right? So think differently, be differently. Or to be differently. <laughs> oh, that was stupid. Anyway, all right, let me just set things up here <laughs> so I can close this out. It's late. I'm tired. I need to get some food, and uh, I'll talk to everybody next time. Uh, let me just find the thing I'm looking for so I can close it out. There we go. All right, so let's make this the official end. Get more of Kuden Radio. Subscribe to your favorite podcasting site. Or subscribe at modernninjawarrior.com.